So with a, a room this size, this many people gathered together, um, at the risk of maybe even sounding arrogant, I hope it doesn't come across that way, I know a few things about each one of us in this room. Just given the size of the crowd that's here this morning, I know that there are folks in this room that are hurting. Uh, life has brought you some disappointments. Life has brought you difficulty. And this morning, you're looking for hope. And I know there's other folks in this room that, you know, you have doubts. You have questions about this Jesus thing and church and maybe life itself. You're looking for answers. And I know there's others in this room that you've made some bad choices. You've made some bad decisions. And there's a weight of guilt and shame upon your, your life right now. You're looking for forgiveness. You're looking for a place to put that guilt and that shame. I got some awesome news for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ provides hope, it provides answers, and it provides forgiveness that we're all in need of this morning. That's good news. That's something that we can celebrate and be excited over. In uh, the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 25, the Apostle Paul writes a summary verse of, of the gospel, in my opinion. Just one sentence that summarizes the good news about Jesus. He says this. He says, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to new life to make us right with God. He was handed over to die for our sins. That's the cross. That's Good Friday. He was in the tomb for three days, and, and he was raised to life on the third day to make us right with God. And to, to know that we know that we're right with God, not because of ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done for us. The resurrection of Jesus is truly the foundation of Christianity. It is the, the cornerstone of our faith. Because if Jesus didn't really rise from the grave, then this is all a joke. We might as well eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, like the, the scripture says. But the good news is, is we know he rose. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says, and if Christ has not been raised then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Now, in the, the Gospel of John, John was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, one of his 12 disciples. And the, the Gospel of John chapter 20 records what happened on that resurrection morning and, and some events that happened afterwards. It says that Mary Magdalene, she was the first to come see the empty tomb. And Mary Magdalene, you know, she had such a special love for Jesus. He had delivered her from her brokenness. She was a prostitute and, and was a hurting unit. And she found hope and she found life and healing in Jesus. And so her dreams had died when she saw him die on the cross. So she was going on that third day to grieve again. And she shows up and she sees that, that the tomb is empty. And so she runs as fast as she can to find the disciples. And she finds namely Peter and John. And she says, they've taken the Lord. I don't know where his body is. 
And so it says that, that Peter and John, they ran as fast as they could as well to the tomb. And they saw that, that the stone had been rolled away and there was, Jesus wasn't there. And they saw his grave clothes lying there. It says that John actually began to believe and understand that Jesus really had risen and, and done exactly what he, was, he said he was going to do. So it goes on to say that a, a little while later that the disciples were gathered together. All of them except for Thomas, right? For some reason, Thomas wasn't in the room. It says that, that Jesus showed up and he says, peace be with you to his, his disciples. And they're pretty wide-eyed. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They're blown away. And he gives them some instructions about what's a, what, what he wants them to do. And uh, then it says eight days later, they had found Thomas. And we don't know where Thomas was. I, you know, Thomas takes a bad rap, in, in my opinion. I'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, it says that Tom, they were with Thomas, and they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's actually risen, just like he said he was going to rise. And to, if you remember the story, Thomas says, I can't believe that. There's no way. Unless I can touch him and see him and handle him for myself, I can't believe. And immediately Jesus appears. <laughs> and he says, Thomas, he says, have faith, believe, and handle me. And Thomas touches him and puts his, his hand in his wound in his side. And he believes and he says, my Lord and my God. And the most amazing thing happens right after that. Jesus made a promise to you, to you, every one of us in this room. He made a promise to you and he made a promise to me when he says this. He says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You catch that? That's you and me. We've never seen Jesus. We are relying on the testimony of scriptures. We're relying on history and, and, and the facts and all the things that surround the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, Thomas, you believe because you've, you've laid your eyes on me and your hands on me. Blessed are those people at Novation Church, Easter 2019, who believe and haven't seen me. We're blessed. Goes on to say, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. What an awesome statement. You came on a perfect day today. If you haven't come to Novation in a while, or you're a first-time guest, we're starting a brand new series in this message called Signs, where we're looking at the things that Jesus did that proved he was who he said he was, namely the Son of God. And the first and foremost is the resurrection. You know, Jesus said over and over that he was going to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And that's exactly what happened. So that, the miracle of the resurrection is the first sign we're going to look at. Next week, we're going to start going through the Gospel of John sequentially, starting in John chapter 2, where Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. I mean, no, that would have been a good wedding to be at, right? I would have loved to have been there, partake a little bit. Um, a few of us from uh, Novation just got back from Israel. We went to Cana where that happened, that the, the, the wedding happened, and pretty amazing. So 
Come back for that and continue in this series and let God build your faith. So what's the purpose of a sign? If we're going to talk about signs, miracles, miraculous signs that Jesus did, what was the purpose of that? Well, I would say, first of all, a sign is a demonstration that proves that Jesus was who he said he was, namely the Son of God. It's a demonstration that proves that he was who he said he was, that he's the Son of God. Now, if you've never read the Gospels, Jesus made some huge, outrageous claims. They're huge. Um, he said he was the Son of God. The religious leaders wanted him on a cross and to die because they thought he was blaspheming by calling himself the Son of God. By calling himself the Son of God, he was equating himself to God. Jesus also said he was the bread of life, that uh, he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. You say that today, you're going to tick some folks off, right? Because Jesus made some very exclusive claims about himself. And the thing I love about Jesus is he, claimed, he is the exclusive Savior, but he includes everybody. He's an inclusive Savior. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you come from, come one, come all to him. But he said he was the exclusive way to a relationship with God. Now, if you're going to make those kind of claims, you better be ready to back it up. You better be ready to back it up. Um, there are men in this world, I read this article this week, there's seven men in the world who claim to be the Messiah. <laughs> See, living today in 2019, um, there's a guy in Brazil who was a waiter at a restaurant turned Messiah. <laughs> he went from being a waiter to a Messiah. And he has this little following of females. And he goes around talking that he's, you know, he's literally the son of God. There's a guy in Siberia. I don't know why you want to be there, but it sounds pretty cold. And the picture of him, he had like snow all over his beard. And um, he claims that he is the second coming of Jesus. He has a following of about 10,000 people. They live out in the cold and, and he teaches and talks about whatever, I guess, um, makes claims. There's a guy in Japan. This is true. There's a guy in Japan who ran a political campaign that he was the son of God. That's what his political campaign was, that he was the second coming of Jesus. There's guys in Africa as well who say that they're the son of God. One guy actually calls himself the king of kings and lord of lords. Um, kind of like the old adage, I don't want to be standing next to that guy. <laughs> Lightning strike, you know, remember that? No. All right, tough crowd. Um, it's Easter, let's lighten up. Um, those guys have nothing to back up their claims. Jesus backed up every one of his claims by the miracles that he did and by rising from the grave. The second purpose of a sign is that a sign is something that points us in the right direction and gets us to the right destination. You know, you follow street signs, uh, or your GPS anymore, but you're following something to get you to your proper destination. You want to go in the right direction to the right destination. Those of you in this room that are looking for hope, you need the right direction and the right destination. Those that you're looking for answers, you need the right direction and the right destination. Those that are looking for forgiveness, right direction, 
in the right destination. So what we're going to focus on over the, the next few minutes together is how do we know that Jesus really rose? How do we know that the miraculous sign of the resurrection really happened? How do we know that? I would just say this, follow the signs. Follow the signs. Follow the signs around the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I believe you'll be convinced. I think there's seven things that, that we see in the gospel accounts um, around the resurrection of Jesus, things that will encourage you, that know that you're building your faith on something that's legit, something that is, that is real. And the first sign is the sign of the stone, the stone that was in front of the tomb. It's uh, an amazing thing to, to contemplate that the stone was rolled away. It's a sign that Jesus really rose from the grave. It says in John chapter 20, verse 1, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. The stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, this had to be pretty mind-boggling. Now, here's a picture of what the, the stone may have, have looked like. You know, that's something that's in Israel today. And so, see that big circular rock that's there? That, that, they had a system where they could roll that rock right in front of the tomb in such a way that nobody could come in or out. It was there to pr protect the deceased to protect the dignity of the deceased so that animals couldn't come in and, and desecrate, you know, the, the grave and all, all of that. So they had this system where they could roll it down, use gravity, and then just seal that, that, that tomb up so no one could come in or out. Now, throughout each one of these seven signs, I'm going to give you something that's evidential in the fact that this was one and a half tons probably the size, you know, the weight of a small car. How did that get moved? How did that get rolled away? But I think each one of these also represents something experiential for each one of us. And I think the question for all of us in this room is that stone could represent something that's blocking you from living the resurrected life, living the life that God promises to those who follow Jesus. And today there's something that's in your way, in your life. Maybe it's a, it's a hurt. Maybe it's a habit. It's some sort of hang-up, and it's blocking you from being all who God wants you to be. I would ask you this morning to be praying about that and ask God to show you how the resurrection of Jesus delivers you from that. The second sign is the sign of the seal. Not like the animal and not like the music artist, but the seal that was on on the, the, the stone itself is very, very, very important evidence of that seal being broken and why that's important for us to understand Jesus really rose from the grave. It says in Matthew 27, it says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, he said that after three days I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come in and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. 
So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. You'll see in this picture, this is kind of a, a drawing of what it may have some looked like. But you see the Roman soldiers there. And in front of the seal, what they would do is they would take, in front of the stone, they would take a rope. And they would fasten it down as tight as they could so that not only would you have to push the, the stone out of the way, you would have to break the seal of, of this you know, strong rope holding and fastened it down into the rock. And they would take hot wax, and they would take wax and go all the way across the rope. And then the Roman guard would put his signet ring of the Roman Empire into that wax, basically saying officially, this, this tomb is sealed, the body's on the inside. And so when you contemplate that, you start realizing what, what happened, that when the women, when Mary got to the, to the tomb, the stone was rolled and a seal had been broken. The seal, in my opinion, is, is something that we could kind of contemplate of as, as a mark of Roman oppression, especially that signet ring that said, hey, the Roman Empire dominates you. You're under our tyranny. And I wonder this morning what that seal might represent again in your life. What is oppressing you? Because the Romans were oppressing everybody in every place that they dominated. And I think we have to realize there's a real enemy. And the enemy loves to come and try to oppress our lives and make us be under his thumb. What is the something that's trying to oppress you today? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that sets us free. Trust him today. The third sign is the sign of the soldiers. The sign of the soldiers. In the text that I just read prior to that, Pilate told uh, them to take a guard and put it in front of, of, of the, the stone. Now, taking a guard was not one guard. Even that picture wasn't accurate. A guard was 16 soldiers. So you put four in the front, four on the side, and four looking into the tomb. So just let this evidentially get into your mind. There were 16 guards, at least, standing around the tomb of Jesus and watching what was going on. Here's a little kind of cheesy picture I found of maybe Roman guard, but, you know, those aren't wimpy dudes, right? Those are like some bad dudes that, that knew how to fight. They were trained warriors, trained soldiers to guard the tomb, 16 of them. What we're going to question we have to ask is where were they? Where were they? Well, the soldiers were gone. Here's what it says, recorded in uh, Matthew. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went and looked at the tomb. There was a violent er earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Think about that for a second. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets out to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Those guys not being at their post, they were risking their lives. They were risking imprisonment by, by not doing the job that they were supposed to do. That shows me that something serious happened in what they witnessed. And as they saw the angel come down, they, they shook as dead men. They were just frozen in their tracks. And I think it's important that when we look at the soldiers, they represented intimidation. Um, we, were, we were just in Israel, several of us, as I told you earlier. And we went to this place called the Garden Tomb. And by the Garden Tomb is the hill called Golgotha. Now, Golgotha means the place of the skull. And so back at the time of, the, of, of Jesus, you could clearly see what looked like, you know, the reason they named it is, let me give you a better example. So if you drive west on 86 Parkway and you start going past Stanley Lake, have you ever seen the sleeping Indian, right? Well, people named that because it looks, you see a headdress and you see a body and a, a little belly and all of that. So they named Golgotha in the same kind of uh, way. So you'd see two eyes, you'd see a nose, and you'd see a mouth. And we actually saw it from where we were sitting when we were just in Israel. Over time, the land has, you know, shrunk and the, sunk into the, land, uh, to the ground, etc. But <clears throat> people often have this idea that Jesus was crucified on some faraway hill. But when you read the Bible, you see that Jesus was crucified just outside the city gate. It wasn't on a hill far away. He was actually crucified on a walkway or a street of some sort. Because you remember how it said that in, the, in the Gospels that the people would pass by and they would mock Jesus. He saved, him, he saved others. Can he save himself? And so they, they put him on the streets to intimidate people. When people would pass by, they would see people crucified. And that intimidation of the crucifixion was saying, if you mess with the Roman empire, this is what will happen to you. If you rebel, this is what will happen to you. So it's all, it was a fear tactic and an intimidation tactic so that people would stay under their thumb. I'll ask you today, what fear in your life is intimidating you? Is it the fear of death? Is it a, a bad report that you got from the doctor? Finances, relationship, it could be all kinds of things. Fear is a bully, and fear is out to intimidate you and I. But the death and resurrection of Jesus takes care of all of our fears. It takes care of the things that, those big questions of life that we, that we ponder. What happens when you die? Why is there suffering in the world? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Jesus answers those questions. The fourth sign is the sign of the sepulcher. That's a big word for tomb, but I had to have them all start with S because that's just what we do, right? It's what we do. It's a fancy word for tomb. And when we get to this point right here, the stone was rolled away, the seal had been broken, and there were no, no soldiers. The soldiers had all bolted. How do we know Jesus rose? Well, one theory that a group of supposedly smart people have come up with, supposedly smart people, is called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory is that Jesus didn't really die. He looked like he died. He passed out from the pain. That's how 
Christians concocted this idea that he rose from the grave. Well, let's think about that for a second. Jesus was brutally beaten for a day. Would have bled, almost bled out. Had his hands and feet nailed to a cross. Hung there, struggling to breathe. Had a spear shoved through his side. Would have been wrapped in the mummified uh, de- uh, you know, grave clothes with spice, a layer of spice, layer of clothes, layer of spice, layer of clothes. They would do the spices so, you know, that the, it didn't stink, quite frankly. And so you're telling me that a guy who had been beaten like that, hands and feet nailed to a cross, a spear shoved in his side, just all of a sudden woke up. <laughs> he just had passed out and then he woke up and was able to get off the grave clothes and walk out of, move the stone, break the seal, scare off the soldiers, and here he was. I think it takes way more faith to believe that than just what the scriptures actually have to say about Jesus rising exactly as it says he did. Here's what it says in Luke 24. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, two angels, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Two of the most impactful phrases in the New Testament are, it is finished. Jesus said it is finished right before he died, that he had paid the debt of sin. And I think the next most important is he is risen. He didn't stay dead. He didn't die a martyr's death. He he died and rose again in victory. The tomb was empty. If they had showed up to the tomb on the third day and found Jesus still lying there, Jesus would have been either a false prophet or he would have been a liar. But the good news is he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that empty tomb gives us amazing confidence today to face today, to face tomorrow, and to face eternity when you're trusting him. I always say this, if a guy can, can predict his death and resurrection and pull it off, I go with him. I'm going to go with whatever he says. I don't have answers to every theological question in the world, nor would I ever try, but but I know this to be true, so I'm with him. And I pray today all of us join with him. The fifth sign is the sign of the shroud. And some of you may immediately think like the shroud of Turin. That's not what I mean. Um, That's a cool, possible, historical thing, and and all of that, I don't know if that was really the shroud that Jesus was buried in or not. And to be honest with you, it's not that important to me because I don't need that to believe that Jesus really rose from the grave. There's enough, way more evidence um, for me. But here, here's what it says in Matthew 27, 59. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Now, the fact that Jesus was buried in grave clothes and, and layer upon layer just destroys the idea that somebody stole Jesus' body. Because as we're going to read in this next text, they saw the clothes lying there. The 
outline of a body. Like, what happened? It says this. It says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We talked about this last week. John is talking about himself in the third person, and he wanted you and I to know that he was faster than Peter. He could beat him in a running race. So, good job, John. Race you in heaven. Just kidding. Um, he stooped, and he looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, and he went inside. And he, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the, from the dead. Now in this picture, this is a... Uh, a, a, a rendering of the grave clothes and see the, the thing folded up, the smaller piece folded up to, to the right there. Um, that's what this is trying to describe this scene. Now, in, in Jewish culture, that meant a lot. In Bible time, Jewish cultures, any uh, young Jewish boy would have understand what the meaning behind this is. I'm pointing at this TV because I see it <laughs> over here. Um, Every fairly middle-class to rich household would have had a servant. And the servant would have prepared a meal uh, for his master. And he would sit back and he wouldn't touch anything until he knew that he had, was finished eating, that he was done. And so um, if, you know, the, the, the master was done eating, he would, he would take his, his napkin and he would... You know, rub his beard and clean himself off a little bit, and then he would just wad it up and throw it on the table. But if the servant came and he saw on the table the napkin folded up nice and neat like in our picture there, he knew that the master was saying, I'll be back, I'll be back. So what Jesus was trying to give the picture to his disciples was, yeah, I came the first time as the babe in a manger, and I came to suffer on the cross, but I'm coming back one day as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to set everything right. And they knew what that would have meant, and their hope began to be encouraged. And you and I need to remember, just as Jesus, the Bible promised that Jesus would come the first time, it promises that he's coming again. All the how and the when, I don't know, but I know he is coming again. And he's coming again, and he wants you and I to be ready. His appearing could happen at any moment. We don't know. We don't know exactly. I mean, there are definitely signs and things that we can look at, but his return is definitely near. And I know this, that if he doesn't return in our lifetime, we will go stand before him after we die. So we're going to meet him in the near future either way. He wants us to be ready. The sixth sign is the, the sign of the scars. The sign of the scars. Um, this sign is the sign where Thomas actually saw his scars. Jesus showed him. He said, put your, put your finger in, in my wound here. There's a picture that you can see. This was a, uh, you know, a painting of that. 
I'm not sure why Thomas is already bald, but he, um, you know, he witnessed something amazing. And that's right after that, he fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus made that promise. He said, you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I think Thomas takes kind of a bad rap. Um, you know, you and I probably would have done the same thing until we saw him. We, I don't know if we would have believed or not. He's just being honest, I think. And I think God wants all of us to be honest with our doubts and our struggles for sure. The last sign is the sign of the sightings. The sightings of Jesus. People eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And I hear people say, well, how do you know, you know, you weren't there? I say to those people, well, do you believe the Civil War really happened? You weren't there. You read about it. I mean, you, you know enough history. I mean, there are things that we believe about history that we know to, know to be true, even though we weren't there. And so the evidence around the resurrection of Jesus is important because in 1 Corinthians, which was a letter written to the Corinthian church about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, so you have this, this passage, this letter written within 20 years of the resurrection. And people would say, well, Jesus is a legend. Jesus is just a myth. Listen, I have a 20-year-old daughter, and I can describe to you the day of her birth like it was yesterday. She was born at Swedish Hospital, 11.04 a.m. The first person I called was Chris Ingalls. Her sister showed up with a Tickle Me Elmo doll and with my parents and, and meeting her baby sister. I mean, 20 years isn't a whole lot of time. And so within 20 years, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the, the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. 500 people, most of whom are still alive. Though some have died, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles in fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. Paul's such an important part of Christianity because he thought he was doing God a favor by killing off these new Christians, by trying to destroy the way. And just like Jesus, that shouldn't shock any of us, he takes his worst enemy and he makes him his mouthpiece to his grace to his gospel. And Paul went and preached the gospel to the world and the gospel still going forth to this day. People are coming to Jesus who had never heard about Jesus every day. I believe in the resurrection. I believe it really happened. Women were the first to witness the resurrection. In a court of law back then, women couldn't testify. 
So God doesn't seem to care whether you, whether all the, you know, if somebody was fabricating a story, don't you think you would try to make the evidence seem to point a little more in your favor? 500 witnesses. But the thing that gets me is the transformation of the disciples. Peter went from a guy denied Jesus three times to a guy who was willing to go to his death. He didn't care. He was going to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because he was an eyewitness to his death and to his resurrection. What a miraculous sign that is. And you know what? There's miraculous signs throughout this room this morning. The, the person you're sitting next to is a miraculous sign. That God changes lives. He takes lives that, that are, are on, a, on a path of self-destruction. And he redeems. He did that for me 27 years ago. I was lost looking for life, looking for purpose in every possible thing, lonely. And he found me, and he gave me hope. I'm a miraculous sign. Those of you that have experienced the change of your heart and the change of your life, you're a miraculous sign. To all of us in this room, are you ready for that today? I believe that God has been stirring some hearts, preparing you for this very moment to transform and to give you the hope that you need, to give you the forgiveness that you're longing for, to, a place to put your guilt and your shame, answers for your questions. And I believe today some of you are saying, I'm ready. Would you stand with me? We're gonna, we're gonna go into one last song. Before we start thinking about what we're doing when we leave this room, let's leave this this moment very sacred. Today, if you're saying, you know what? I want to commit my life to be a follower of Jesus. I want to give him the keys to my life, to live my life for him rather than myself. I want to experience forgiveness. I want to experience hope. I want to experience the newness that he brings. I'd ask you to do something very bold and make your way up to the front here. Today, there's many of us in this room that maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus. You've got off center. You got off the path. And I believe today he's calling you to experience what it means to know that he's committed to you and as you commit your life back to him. So as we go into this song, we're gonna pray at the end of this song. Make your way up forward here and just do business with God. Give your life to him. Um, there's going to be a prayer up on the screen that I want us to pray together. And today, if you mean it from your heart, that you want Jesus to be your Savior and Lord and confess that today, turn away from sin and selfishness to working your new life in him and letting him work his life through you. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't become perfect. He's perfect, as Brian said earlier. But he makes us perfect. And he's making us perfect, both in the past tense and the present tense and all the way to heaven. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that you are alive. I believe that you are the son of God. 
I believe that you loved me so much that you gave your life for me. I am putting my hope in you today. I receive your gift of new life and forgiveness of my sins. Today, I'm turning my life over to you. I'm turning away from trying to do life apart from you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Fill me with power to walk in your will and let you lead every area of my life. In your name, amen. Let's give God a hand. You're awesome, God.